launched into a three-week series entitled, Does God Have a Plan for My Salvation? Does God have a plan for my salvation? If you missed last week, I really, I really strongly recommend that you go and listen to it, not this minute, not now, but it's going to build on what you're going to hear today. And really, it was on repentance. And, and you can't, scripturally, you can't be baptized until you repent. So what, what is repentance? Well, I, we, we took a whole week last week and talked all about that. And so I really, I really encourage you to go back and hear that message if you did miss it. Um, but today is week two. Does God have a plan for my salvation? Well, once I've repented, what do I do? What do we do now? Well, out of Christ's death, burial, and resurrection, what I talked about last week is death, burial, and resurrection. Well, what are we supposed to do at that point? How do we align personally with the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ? Well, the death, we talked about how that is repenting, and we even talked about the uh, the Old Testament tabernacle had the first place there was an altar of sacrifice. Well, now there's a burial portion, just like Jesus. He died on the cross, was buried in a tomb, and rose again. God has that same plan for your life and your salvation. And so you, there's a dying out process, a, a repentance, a, I'm a, my body's a living sacrifice. Forgive me, Lord, for my sin. But now it's burial time. Now it's time to bury some things. Well, what does that mean? Well, the Apostle Paul writes to a church in Rome, and he says this in Romans 6, 3, Know ye not that so many of us, as were baptized into Jesus Christ, were baptized into his death. Therefore, because of that fact, we are buried with him. How? How are we buried with him? We are buried with him by baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. So that is a scriptural command, a call to not only die out, but then to bury some things. And we are buried with him when we are baptized. You see me go like this, it's because behind these Cool big barn doors are as a baptismal tank where there's clean, warm, beautiful water that you're going to get baptized in if you want it so to do so today. And so to bury, what does to bury mean? Well, to bury, really, the, the definition of that is simply to submerge, to engross, to cover up. Just based on the definition of the word of loan, well, we can say, well, to be buried with him in baptism insinuates that there is something that is being submerged, engrossed, or covered up. And so we obey the burial of Jesus by being buried ourselves. But just think about that. If we got together today and we decided that after this service that we were going to take Jim Hamilton and bury him alive out in the field of the church. Well, the authorities are going to come. We're going to be arrested because that's like homicide, okay? But now if, God forbid, Brother Jim died, which hopefully that's not 50, 80 years down the road, but when we would say, hey, we're going to bury Brother Jim today, that's called the funeral. No, the only authorities that would show up is if he, we we're going to have a police escort because he was such a famous person that we had to have uh, an escort to the, to the uh, uh, not the funeral facility, what am I trying to say? Cemetery, thank you. Woo! funeral parlor. What? That, that's not what I was, was trying to say there. To the cemetery, nobody would be charged with anything because when someone has died, then it's a, a celebration of their life that you're burying something that's already dead. So guess what? You cannot go into this water scripturally alive. There can't be, if there's never been a dying out, if there's never been a repentance, then you're just jumping into water alive and there's nothing to bury. That's not God's plan. But when you say, no, I have died out to self. I have repented. I have done, like we've talked about last week, that about face, that a turning from sin, that new commitment to Christ, that now that part of my desire, my, my life, I, that's dead. And now I want to bury some things in the water of, waters of baptism. Well, now 
That, that's what he's called us to do. And so in, in this case, when we repent and die out to self, we're now ready to be buried with him in baptism. Well, when Nicodemus was a Pharisee, and he, unlike the other Pharisees, seemed like he had a little bit of an understanding of Jesus and, and knew that there was something special about Jesus. And so Nicodemus came to Jesus at nighttime in John chapter 3. And John, he writes about this, and he, and he tells us in John 3, 1, if we could have that scripture, John 3, 1, he says, okay, so there's a man named Nicodemus. He was a ruler of the Jews. The Jews. Now, in verse 2, he says, the same came to Jesus at night. And he says, Rabbi, teacher, we know you're powerful. We know that you're sent by God. No one could do these miracles except they're really sent by God. So there's, he, he is admitting, and he comes to him at nighttime because he knows that, hey, I can't, in, in my position, I can't believe in Jesus, and I, I can't be doing this. So I'm going to sneak away at nighttime to go have this conversation with him. And so he, he, he verbalizes to Jesus, I understand, you're special. There's something incredible about you. And in verse 3, Jesus says, he answers him, he says, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born again, he cannot enter or see the kingdom of God. And so he tries to tell him, you can't, you can't, if you're, born, if you're not born again, you can't enter God's kingdom. Well, this is confusing to Nicodemus because the next verse he says, well, how am I supposed to be born again? Do I enter into my mother's womb a second time to be born? That's not making sense. How is that even possible? So Jesus clarifies to him and says in verse 5, except a man is born of the water and of the spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. Now, that sounds a little bit exclusive, but the beauty here is the plan is for everybody. He doesn't say you have to just be this or this or this color or this background or have this message tenure or speak this language. No, no, no. This is, this is something he's going to offer to everybody. It's grace. But he does have a plan. And he says, except you're born of water and spirit, can't enter. And so if we're Bible believers like I think we are, then we would say, okay, then I know I need the water and the spirit to enter the kingdom. So now you get debates on, well, what is the water and what is the spirit? I think no matter what the denomination is, if someone believes the Bible, I think everybody could kind of agree that, hey, I think I see a lot of, a lot of emphasis, a lot of importance on the water and the spirit. The disagreements take place on what, is, what are those two things. So today, next week, we're going to look at the Spirit. Today, we're just going to spend our time just looking at the water. Because I don't want to just say, and the water is this, and this is the way you should do it. Because you might be like, eh, I wasn't raised that way. My church didn't teach me that. My parents didn't teach me. I wasn't baptized that way. And so I don't want to just tell you, oh, this is the way you should do it. I want you to be able to read the exact passages that say, what does Scripture say? How was Jesus baptized? How did he tell his followers to baptize people? How did they then go and baptize people? Because that's pretty critical, because that to me shows what the water is based on what he taught and based on what they practiced. And so the method of baptism, well, what is water? Does it matter, does it matter how I'm baptized? Because some people will say, well, as long as you believe in a higher being, you know, that's the only thing that matters. We don't have to major in minors. Well, I don't think it's a minor if Scripture says a certain way or a certain method. And so some churches put people under the water and bring them back up. Some will sprinkle water on their heads. Some will pour water on their heads. Some churches baptize in the name of Jesus Christ. Some baptize, baptize in the titles of the Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Some churches will baptize infants. Some will say, no, it's just for an adult or it's just for children. Different people say different things. And so baptism is more than some will say baptism is just joining a church. Some will say it's an outward sign of an inward faith. Some will say it's a matter of salvation. Others will say, no, it's just a good practice if you feel to do so. So what in the world are we supposed to do? Well, you just let everybody choose their own way. Well, I think that's ultimately, you have the power of choice. 
But scripture does address these things. And so it's, it's God. He is a covenant God. And I wish I could just sit here and talk all day just on this. Because he's a covenant God. And this goes all the way back to when he made a covenant with Noah. And he says, here's my covenant. And then he gives a token of his covenant, a rainbow. Here's my covenant, Abraham. A token of my covenant is this circumcision. Here's my covenant, Moses. And so he, you're going to serve me on this mountain. There was always a, a covenant and then a token of that covenant. And so... When Abraham, he, 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 even Abraham, he's a covenant God, and he looks at Abraham and he says, Abraham, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to make a covenant with you, and here's what I want. You have your part of the covenant, and then I'm going to have my part of the covenant. And this is incredible in itself that the God of humanity would be willing to humble himself and enter into a covenant with his own creation. Like, he doesn't owe us anything. He doesn't, you know, like if you own something and somebody says, I want to make a covenant with you about your property, you could be like, get off my property. I own this property. He ain't telling me what I'm going to make a covenant on my property. But he's willing to look at us and go, no, no, I love you so much. I'm willing to enter a covenant relationship with you where you have your part of the deal and I have my part of the deal. It's incredible that he's willing to do so. And so he tells Abraham this. He says, if you do this, then this is what I'm going to do. And if you don't, I'm going to cut you off from covenant. Now, some people say, well, God, a God of grace would never do such a thing. If he's a loving God, he wouldn't cut anybody off from covenant. Okay, but if, but if God told you to do something specific, be at the bank at nine tomorrow, as I said recently, and you said, okay, I'm going to go to the bank. He's going to give me a million dollars. If you show up at the bank at nine and you get a million dollars, you did not earn that million. That was his grace, and he was willing to extend it to you. But if you don't show up at the bank at nine tomorrow morning, and you're going to stay at home and go, he's just so unfair. I can't believe a God of love wouldn't still give me that million dollars. No, you're the knucklehead that didn't go to the bank at 9 a.m. to get your million dollars. Did you understand that? And so, so for us, if he says, here's my plan, I want you to be a part of this plan, but here's your part of the deal. If you choose not to do that part of the deal, that's on you. But his grace is still extended and, and the invitation is still there. And even in Abram's case, when he says, if you're going to enter into covenant with me, Abram, I'm going to give you a new name. Your name is going to be Abraham. Like how they used to say in Israel, Chad and I heard that a couple times. It was very cool. Um, the, but... Uh, those young, thin men up there. So Abraham, so guess what? Today we can still enter into covenant relationship and he still gives us a name, a new name. Now, when we're baptized in the name of Jesus, we have entered into covenant relationship. Ephesians, Paul writes to the church in Ephesus and he says, this is what Paul says, there is one body and one spirit. Even as you're called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God. People say, when, you, when I say I'm oneness, this is why. I believe this scripture is true. There's one body, one spirit, one faith, one Lord, one baptism, one God and father of all who is above all and through all and in you all. So if there's one baptism, according to Scripture, what in the world happened? What happened? God never intended for there to be thousands of religions in our world where everybody puts their own spin on things. I'm certainly not arrogant enough to be like, so I am the only person who knows what I'm talking about today. But I will say that, hey, you want to know where to go to church, where to worship, biblical methods of baptism, all these things? Just stick to the word. You don't have to listen. You just look at the word. God will make things clear in his word. There's safety in the word. And so... I would argue that along the line, through the ages, someone, somewhere, 
started to add or take away from the word. And in a Bible study I teach, I actually, we take a lesson and go through the historical changes. And this year, and this year they started this, and this year people started this, and here's why they started it. And you can start to see some of the changes that transpire and why they transpire that way. Now, for me, I don't want to, and that's why when people say, oh, are you a, are you a reformationist that you want to go back to the reformation? No, 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 I'm a restorationist. I want to go back to the way they did it in the book of Acts in Bible times. I'm not interested to hear what people were trying to reform for other denominations. No, thank you. I want to see what scripture says. Let's just go back to that. And so he says, there's one Lord, one faith, one baptism. Well, someone somewhere starting at, and scripture tells us clearly, don't add or take away from my word. Somebody added or somebody took away from the method, the plan, and so now there's all kinds of problems and confusions, but the New Testament was written in the Greek language, Old Testament Hebrew with parts of Aramaic, but it's written in the Greek, so it's important that if the Bible was written in the Greek language, that we understand now it was transliterated, translated into English and other languages, but what do Greek words mean? So the Greek word that we get the word baptize from, the root word is bapto in Greek. Now, you speak to any Greek linguistic specialist, go ahead, call any university, search it for yourself. The person will always tell you that the way the word initially was written means to be immersed in water. Now, this is an interesting quote. My goal is not to dog on or, or, or make fun of any denomination, but I do need to point this out that it's interesting because I have a magazine. I was going to say in my office, but it's not because I don't really have an office right now. It's in a bin in a closet, but I had in my office in a magazine, and it's the U.S. Catholic magazine from February of 1979. I wasn't even born yet. I'm a young man, but 1979, and this is what the magazine says clearly. It says this, at first, baptism was administered in the name of Jesus. And it goes on to say, certainly, the first Christians baptized by immersion. So when I read that in that magazine, and whereas if you go to a Catholic church today, that they no longer baptize in the name of Jesus, and it's in the titles Father, Son, Holy Ghost, and they no longer baptize by immersion, it's by sprinkling. And so I will say, well, if that's the way it was done originally, then why would we change that? No disrespect, I'm not tongue-in-cheek, I'm not, I'm not being passive-aggressive, I'm sincerely saying, well, why would we change something that was originally done by Christ, by the apostles, in a different way? John 3.23, it says, John was baptizing in Ain near Salim because there was much water there, and they came and were baptized. Now, John the Baptist was known as a forerunner to Jesus Christ. He baptized at a place. Why share those, those worthless details? Hey, just so you know, John baptized in a place with a ton of water. Well, if, that's not, if, if the biblical method of baptism does not matter, then with this bottle of water, I could probably baptize this whole sanctuary. But that won't work because that wasn't the biblical method. And so he needed to baptize in a place, shared this important detail, John felt. He baptized in a place where there was a lot of water. And so at a time when an authorized evangelist of the New Testament church was preaching a well-respected Ethiopian traveler to a well-respected Ethiopian traveler. Look at what happens in Acts chapter 8, verse 35. Philip opens his mouth, and he began at the same scripture and preached unto him Jesus. Now, the next verse, it says, so they went on their way, and they came to certain water. Now, I wish... I always say this, I wish so bad as a preacher, I wish I had the 
the sermon outline. I wish I had the details. Come on, don't just tell me he preached to him Jesus. Moving on, I want to be like, what does that mean? What, what, what did that message look like? I mean, Brittany read this morning the, 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 the text of Peter's message in Acts 2. I'd love to hear Philip's message in Acts 8. Just preaches to him Jesus. In the very next verse, they're going on their way in the, in the, the Ethiopian. He goes, he says, well, hang on a second. There's water, verse 36. He goes, there's water. What doth hinder me from being baptized? Where do you get the idea to be water baptized out of that? Well, because you cannot preach Jesus to someone and not have it include water baptism. Because the cross is what paves the way for water baptism. The blood that is shed is what paved the way for the sins to be taken care of. But even though they were forgiven, they're not washed away. And so Jesus says, I don't want to just forgive you. I don't just want to pay a price for your sin. I actually want to wash them away. And so when you preach Jesus to someone, the, na- the next natural thing is, hey, I want to be baptized. How? Well, in that name. And so he says, well, there's water. What's keeping me from being baptized? Philip says, hey, if you believe with all your heart, you can do it, all right? He says, I believe Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And so they command the chariot to stand still, and they both went down. Well, now hang on a minute, because if all I needed was this, why'd I even got to get out the chariot? But this wasn't enough. And so he says, hey, you want to be baptized? Let's go. And where did they go? They both went down into the water. And Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. And they were come up out of the water. And the spirit of the Lord caught Philip away, and the eunuch saw him no more, and he went his way rejoicing. Why? Well, because from what we see, this is the Acts of the Apostles. People, again, will say, well, Acts is a historical book. I agree with you, but I, I, where we might disagree is it's not just historical. It's theological, because if Jesus handpicks followers, and he trains them and says, you're going to do greater than these, I commission you to go and reach the world and teach them. He called them to teach others, and he called them to baptize them. So now we got to look at the book of Acts and go, how did they do it? Because after all, they were trained firsthand by Jesus, and then went out and did it. So that's a theological book. Acts shows us the methods and the plan and theology, not just the history. And so what I read here is, wow, they went down into the water. It appears clearly they baptized by immersion. In order to be baptized according to the Bible, we have to be submerged in the water, just like the picture behind me will show. It's the very meaning of the word and the method and which was exercised throughout the New Testament. The water must cover us up to be buried in baptism. Burial requires a submerging. That's why you don't go to the cemetery and they take one shovel of dirt and throw it on the casket and everyone leaves. You'd be like, uh, what are we doing? They're like, yeah, you know, we buried him. You'd be like, no, that's not buried. Get that body in the ground. There should be, it should be submerged and gross, covered up with the dirt. Well, same thing. The burial, it, we should be submerged, covered up. And if we want to be Christians, Christian means Christ-like, like Jesus. Well, guess what? Matthew 3.16 says, when Jesus was baptized, Jesus himself, he went straightway up out of the water. I mean, for me, that, that settles it. My Savior was baptized by immersion. Yeah. If that's the way Jesus did it, my goodness, I'm not doing it any other way. Right. Now, does, baptize, but does baptism take care of, of all of my sin? Well, when you combine repentance along with baptism, every single mistake and bad thing, poor choice, everything, it's, it's washed away. 
Remember, I said that there is a, a your part covenant. Hey, you do this, I'll do this. Repentance is our part. Repentance is only made possible by, by the cross, by the blood that Jesus shed on Calvary. But whether or not we will repent, that is your choice. It's your part of covenant, your part of going, God, forgive me. God, I am going a different direction. I'm making a decision today. Greek word for, for repentance is really the word metneo, which is a change in mind, a change in thinking. Our thought process has to change. That's us. Baptism is his part of the covenant where he says, I will accept you. I will wash away what I have forgiven. I am going to enter into this covenant with you. There were people... In the New Testament times who were just like us, they heard a message of the cross. God's grace reached out to them, and now they want to respond, and they were unsure how. Maybe some of you here or watching online are in that point where you're like, hey, okay, so I see this. And, and sometimes, you know, walking with God and making decisions, it's, it's sometimes head and heart. So there's going to be things you feel in your heart where God's dealing with you and you're feeling this. Like, like, like Pete in Acts 2, it says they were pricked in their heart, that you're going to feel things in your heart, that conviction, that change. But other times, it's going to be head, meaning, all right, it's not even, I might not even necessarily feel anything right now, but when I look at what Scripture is saying here, I can't, I can't explain anything else. I want to make sure that I align with what God's word is saying because it makes sense to my head because God has made this truth clear and plain. And so uh, Peter, when he stands up in Acts 2, they were pricked in their heart and they said at that point, what should we do with this information that you're giving us? And Peter clearly tells them, in Acts 2.37, he says, they, were, they asked him, what should we do? In 2.38, Peter said unto them, repent, we talked about that last week, and be baptized every one of you. How? How did Peter call for people to be baptized? In the name of Jesus Christ. So there is no other, there is no other name. Acts 4.12 says there, there's no other name. Under heaven, given among men, whereby we must be saved. The name of Jesus is the only saving name. Yes, amen. And so he says, you be baptized in the name of Jesus for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost, which we'll talk about next week. And he says, this is a promise. It's to you, your children, all that are far off, even as many as the Lord our God will call. So this was not an Acts 2 thing or an apostolic thing for the apostles in Acts 2. This is still for us today. And so he clearly lays out, Peter does, for both them and us, a way to be saved. This is a succinct way. And so look at the pattern to which Peter says they should be baptized. He says, in the name of Jesus Christ. Now, some confusion in modern society comes from Matthew 28, 19. After Jesus dies on the cross, buried in a tomb, raises from the grave, and he's ascending into heaven, and he looks at his believers who are assembled there, and he says, Go ye therefore, and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. And so some will say, See, boom, there you have it. We must baptize in the titles Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Scripture says it right there then my question to you is, when you move into the book of Acts, how come you never one time see them do so? Not once. Seriously, show me one verse after church. Come up to me. Not right now. We're busy. We're, we're, we're looking. But one, one version, one church, one passage in Scripture, anywhere, Old Testament, anywhere in the Bible, where someone baptizes someone in the Titus, Father, Son, and Holy Ghost, and page by page, I will just go ahead, I will eat the paper from your Bible one at a time. I'll just have lunch. Because not one time in Scripture ever does anyone ever do it that way. For them, this was not confusion. They knew exactly what to do. Think about it. If he said this to a, a hillside of believers ascending into heaven, and all of a sudden Peter stands up with the 11, Scripture says. Peter says, you need to be baptized in the name of Jesus. If that was supposed to be this way, someone would have said, whoa, 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 whoa,
He said titles, Father, Son, Holy Ghost. But you see, titles, Father, Son, Holy Ghost are are titles, they're roles, they're important things that God does in our lives, but there's not a name. He said, go baptize them in the name, not names, name of the Father, Son, Holy Ghost. What They knew exactly what the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Ghost was. That's why you move into Acts 2 and they says, baptize them in the name of Jesus Christ. That's why you see in Acts 8, they went down in the name of Jesus. That's why you go to Acts 10 and they're getting baptized in the name of Jesus. That's why you're going to Acts 19 and they're getting baptized in the name of Jesus. There was no confusion there. They knew what the name was. This is not a biblical talk called to a certain method. Read the way they did it. The baptism method that, that they had in the book of Acts was in the name of Jesus. Now, some would say, yeah, but I don't think it's a big deal. Well, that's your choice. For me, if scripture lays something out consistently, I'm not changing that. If it says in the name of Jesus, I'm not doing it in the titles, Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. I feel like I just lost my monitors completely up here. Very strange. All I hear is an echo out there now. So it was in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Ghost, which is Jesus. But the apostles didn't, they, they weren't confused by this at all. As we talked about last week, they fully understood that Jesus Christ was God manifest in flesh. And so the name was Jesus. And so there's so much power in the name, just as a bride. I will compare this to people when they get baptized. Just as a bride will take on. So Edgar and Tessa are going to get married here end of February. And there's going to be, with this ring I thee wed, for better or for worse, in sickness and in health, as long as you both shall live. I'm not going to say speak now or forever hold your peace. You don't get a chance to speak because that just creates opportunities for disasters in weddings. Talk to me beforehand. By the time that rolls around, you ain't speaking, okay? So, that's just for them. That's any wedding. So, but you will, you will enter into covenant. And so, Tessa's last name is Johnson. Her, not, her last name's not Soto. They're not married. But on that day, she will become the bride. Well, in, in Scripture, we're called the bride of Christ. The church is the bride of Christ. When do you become the bride? It's interesting. I've never thought of that. Well, I have. Let me tell you what my thoughts are. <laughs> my thoughts are not my thoughts. My thoughts are based in Scripture. And when we take on, she becomes the bride when she takes on the name and she enters into covenant relationship. Today, in our day and age, people don't take marriage as serious as they should. That's why the percentages of marriages ending is very high. But it's more than just, hey, you know, you look good. We're having a good time. Why don't we give this a shot and get married? No, no, no. It is when you stand before God and man, it is let's make covenant. I I will, I do. I look at my soon-to-be spouse and I promise you that it doesn't matter if I'm sick. It doesn't matter if we're rich or poor. It doesn't matter. I'm making a covenant with you. And now, because I'm willing to enter this covenant relationship, I'm going to go ahead and take on your name. Well, guess what? You can say, I believe in Jesus. Oh, yeah, I serve him, all that. But you want to know when you enter covenant relationship, when you become the bride of Christ, it is when I say, I'm ready for covenant, and I'm going to go up there, I'm going to have my sins washed away, and I'm going to take on the name of the bridegroom. And now, baptism is not outward sign of inward faith joining a church. It's not that. It's way more than that. You are not joining refuge when you jump in the tank. No, you are going, I am entering into a, uh, certainly, maybe I've already been dating, maybe there's already been romance there, but now it becomes different on the wedding day. It's a name, it's a covenant. Today, certainly, some of you have faith in God, here's your prayers, you have a relationship that's probably a deep and real relationship, 
But there's something more when you say, it's time now for covenant. It's time now to go to a whole nother level. I'm going to take on his name and be the bride of Christ. And when we take on that name in baptism, we enter covenant relation. This is why Paul writes to the New Testament church, people who were thinking about going back into the law of Moses in Romans and Galatians. And Paul starts to say, you're so concerned about being heirs of the covenant of Father Abraham in the Old Testament. But Paul says, let me tell you something. We're in New Testament times. We don't have to go back to animal sacrifice. It's not a physical circumcision. Now it's a spiritual circumcision. And it's not a, a animal or a covenant-based system back then. Now the covenant-based system is water baptism. Look what he says in Galatians 3.27. He says, for as many of you have been baptized into Christ, have put on Christ. And then he says in verse 29, and if you are Christ's, then are you Abraham's seed and your heirs According to the promise, meaning, hey, Israel, you were so concerned about the covenant that God established with Abraham, and you want to walk in covenant. He says, now, you, today, you can still walk in covenant, but it's not a works-based animal sacrifice system. He says, you, when you are baptized in that name of Jesus Christ, you're putting on Christ, and when you're baptized in the name, you're in the covenant. You're heirs of the promises. I'm going to just show you. Some people are visual learners. Take a look at the way that people were baptized in the Bible. I think I sent you. Look at this. This is just some of the, the scripture references. Pull out your phone. Go ahead. Don't take my word on it. Go ahead. Take a picture. Go study them all. These are just some of the ways that people were baptized in the name of Jesus in, Bible, in the scriptures. And now I'm going to show you a slide of all the times someone was baptized in the Tez, Father, Son, Holy Ghost. There it is. Take a picture. Go study it. Not one. Not one. The name was integral to the method of baptism. And so at what point should someone be baptized? Maybe you're here and you're like, oh, I got a little one. And what if something happened? And that's a very real concern for any parent. Now, some have used the, the, the terminology age of accountability. That is not in scripture, that I will come forthright and say that, that terminology, that phrase, it is not in the Bible. But why some people have used that phrase is because when you study baptisms throughout the book, uh, even, even when uh, Cornelius calls his whole house together in Acts 10, he calls everybody together. It sounds like there were children there too, um, but there was a teaching. He, uh, Peter would get up and they would preach and they would speak and they would say these things because anytime we see someone getting baptized in Scripture, there was a teaching, a believing, an understanding, a repenting, a turning from their way, a commitment, a desire to enter covenant. Now, I don't expect an eight-year-old to be able to say, yes, covenant's important to me. When I think back to Abraham's work-based system and this animal sacrifice, like, I, I understand that a child probably is not going to say that. But when I speak to a child, I want to hear, why are you getting baptized? If they say, well, my brother did, and I thought I should do it, I say, okay, well, let's just give it some time, you know? But if somebody can just tell me, I want my sins washed away. Jesus died on the cross, and I love him. And I, yeah, I just, I, just, I just want to have my sins washed away. That's all I need to hear. Who am I to say to a child or to a person, I don't think you're ready. So I will leave this to a parent or guardian that if you've had a conversation with your child and you feel, you know your kid better than I know your kid. If you feel like your child is ready for water baptism, right? Now, if you come to me and say, I want to have my newborn baptized. I'm going to have to go. I don't know many babies that come out of the womb going, I'm a sinner and I feel horrible. <laughs> there has to be, from what we see in Scripture, a teaching, believing, understanding, decision, commitment. So I would be willing to say, even though I don't know your child, a newborn is going to be a little young for that. So typically, 
the youngest I think I've seen baptized probably here is about five. Um, but I leave these up to you to where you feel that those things can transpire in the mind, in the life of a child. Sometimes they're just afraid of me holding them under the water, and they really are ready, but they're scared of water. And so you have to, I have to go down. That's why I, I'm always talking to the kids and giving them fives and talking to them and giving them hugs and teasing them and getting them to laugh with me. There's a reason why I do these things, because I want your children to feel comfortable with their pastor. Because we never want them to not have a spiritual experience because they're afraid of me as a person that stands and towers up here on the pulpit. And so, if baptism always required not only being fully immersed in water, but also all of these understanding and comprehension, there's no biblical way that I can see for an infant being baptized. And that's why we don't do that here. Now, baptism is more than just joining a church, and I won't be much longer. It's even more than entering a covenant. The Bible makes both repentance and baptism necessary components for salvation and for eternal life. Mark 16, 16, he says, He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved, but he that believeth not shall be damned. 1 Peter 3, 21, Peter says, The like figure whereunto even baptism doth also now save us. Well, you guys at that church make baptism a salvation issue. No, actually, Scripture makes baptism a salvation issue. I just preach and teach the Bible and align my life with that. It's more than joining a church. Salvation, water baptism by immersion in the name of Jesus is, from what we can see, a salvation issue. It's not about holy water. I want you to know that this water here, it is from Liberty Tap. It's probably hard water. We have to put water softener stuff in there and keep it clean and, and test the chlorine. We do all this work for it. it is, there is nothing about it that is like, hey, man, maybe I could grab a cup of that and take it home because it's holy. Like it's, it's just water. But what that scripture says in 1 Peter 3.21, it's not putting away of the filth of the flesh. It's the answer of a good conscience toward God. That when you step into that water with the mindset of repentance, I'm turning away from sin. God, I want to enter covenant relationship. And I want to have these sins washed away. I want to be the bride of Christ and take on your name. That water now is powerful because of the spiritual implications of your obedience. Not because it's holy water. And so, Acts twenty two sixteen, when Paul speaks, he says, Now why tarriest thou? Arise and be baptized and wash away thy sins, calling on the name of the Lord. Well, what's the name of the Lord? Jesus. And so Paul, he even looks at them toward the end of Acts. He's like, what are you waiting for? If, if you've heard this message and God took on flesh and he died on a cross and shed blood and you're willing to believe in him and repent of your sins, why in the world would you not want to take on his name and have all of those sins washed away? And so as I bring this around to a close... If you're here and you're like, well, I haven't ever been baptized in Jesus' name, but that's not what I was taught or that's not what I saw. Well, Scripture says to do it. So that's where sometimes people will say, well, I'm going to pray about some things. And prayer is important, but can I tell you one thing? There's one time you never have to pray about things, and that is where Scripture speaks clearly. Like if Scripture says, I would have all that men should raise holy hands as unto me. I don't have to be like, God, do you really want me to raise my hands? Well, no scripture says that. I want you to forgive one another. Lord, I'm going to pray about whether or not you want me to forgive someone. There, there's nothing to pray about. Scripture says to do it. If he calls me to be baptized in Jesus' name, then I don't need to say, well, I'm going to take some time and pray. It's just a matter of am I going to do it or am I not? Because in scripture, we never see delayed baptisms. Never. No one ever says, well... Made a, made a good point there. Let's come back uh, to the mountainside a week from now and we'll, we'll go ahead and have a baptism Sunday. 
He's driving along, Philip goes, the eunuch says, there's water. What's keeping me from getting baptized? Pull the chariot over. Let's do it right now. Paul gets done preaching. Hey, what's keeping me from being? Why tarry us now? There's water. Let's do it right now. Peter, what should we do? Be baptized in the name of Jesus. Repent of your sins. He didn't say, pray about it and think about it. Let's come back a month from now. They're like, let's do it right now. And some of you are here. You've never been baptized. Maybe in the name of Jesus by immersion. What's, what's keeping you? Here's water. What hinders you from being baptized? Well, I've been baptized once. Yeah. Is it this scriptural way? Nobody's knocking you. Nobody's saying you don't have a walk with God or relationship. But what if you're sitting in a service today and you're seeing something that you've never seen before? Do you know there were people in the Bible that got rebaptized? Acts 19. Came to pass while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul, having passed through the upper coast of Ephesus, came to Ephesus, or came, uh, upper coast, came to Ephesus and finding certain disciples. He said to them, which we're going to look at next week, you get the Holy Ghost the minute you believe, then why did he just ask the dumbest question in history? Have you received the Holy Ghost since you believe? If you get it when you believe, then why do you ask that question? And they said, we haven't even heard about the Holy Ghost. What's this thing you're talking about? He says, well, unto whose baptism were you baptized? They said, unto John's baptism. Hold it right there. Because if anybody would have had an argument that their baptism was good enough, I mean, this guy, not in scripture, but through, through history, we've kind of started calling him John the Baptist. I mean, if anybody, I could have been like, hey, I don't need to be baptized. I was baptized by John the Baptist. But John baptized unto repentance. There was not a name. It was not covenant. Covenant means something to God. And so Paul says, hey, John baptized with baptism under repentance, saying to the people, they should believe on him, which should come after. He says, guys, you got baptized in the road. He didn't tear it down. That's good. I'm glad you did that. But even John himself was saying, I'm, I'm getting, re getting you ready for the, the one who's coming after me. And that's Jesus Christ. And so he points out to them, you were baptized. It was important for that moment of your life, of the truth that you had at that time. But now there's covenant. Now there's blood that was shed. Now there's a name. And verse 5 says, Paul said, uh, verse 5 says, when they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Baptized one way which was powerful for that moment. But then they saw something else. They had a new revelation that said, wow, there's a name. There's a covenant. I can be the bride of Christ. Go ahead and give me that too. And they were rebaptized in Jesus' name. I just, man, could it be that you didn't expect this today? You didn't come ready for this. But all of a sudden, God might be just dealing with you a little bit. Where you're seeing some things. Maybe you're going, man, I'm telling you, this is not a high-pressure situation. Nobody's trying to get you to join the church. But I want you to see in Scripture, God's got a plan for your life. He died on that cross, shed blood, and he handed you a name. A name as a bride that he says, will you take on my name? Will you enter into this covenant relationship with me? If so, then guess what? There's clean, warm water here today. There's clothes to change into. There's a baptismal tank right here that maybe you weren't even planning on getting in today. But according to scripture, there were no delayed baptisms. Here's water. Here's water. What hinders you from getting baptized? What hinders you? The only thing that can hinder you is your own will. But if you're here and you're going, I want this. I want to be baptized in that name. I want to be immersed in water and have the name of Jesus called over my life. I want a fresh start. I want to have sins washed away. 
I want to start on a journey. Maybe I've already been on this journey. Nobody's belittling what you've done and what you've already accomplished or seen in your life. But maybe right now you're seeing some things that maybe you've never seen before and you're like, no, hold it. Pride's getting put aside. I'm getting in that water and I want something greater. I want something deeper. I've seen some things that maybe I've never seen before. And so I invite you to stand. And if you've already been like, yeah, hey, I've been baptized. This is good in the name of Jesus. Yep, I've done that. Yep, absolutely. I still think it's, it's just a great time to come to an altar and to say, my God, thank you so much for taking on flesh. Thank you for shedding your blood. Thank you for making water baptism possible. Thank you for being willing to enter into covenant with your own creation who doesn't deserve it. Thank you, Jesus, for the fact that by your grace... I can be saved through faith and obedience, God. I thank you, Jesus, that I can walk up and I can take on the name and have my sins completely washed away. That there's no other, I don't have to go through a six-week class. No, no, there's no delayed baptisms. If you're here and you love Jesus and you're repentant of your sins and you believe he died on the cross, today's your day. There's water. Why tarriest thou? Arise and be baptized. We got at least two that are going to do it today. Hey, let's, let's just go ahead. Anybody here that's never been baptized, if you're watching online and you don't even live in Liberty, send us an email at info at refugechurchonline.com. We're not in this just to put bodies in seats. I'll find you somebody in your area anywhere in the world that will baptize you in Jesus' name. My Lord, if I need to, I'll get on a plane and go to another country if I need to baptize you. Philip got pulled from a, a citywide revival in Samaria and brought to the middle of a desert to reach that eunuch. I'll go anywhere. I'll get someone in contact. Why? Because this message matters. And so today, I invite you to just find a place to pray. If you've never repented of your sins, do so today. Prepare your heart and your mind. And I believe, and I'm telling you, that God will wash away every sin, every mistake. You will be a new creature in Christ today when you enter that covenant relationship and take on the name of Jesus.